Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Bismillah walhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala Qala rabbi shahli sadri wa yassir li amri Wahlul uqtatan min lisani yafqahu qawli Allahumma zidana ilma All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi Peace and salutations upon his family Upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time Ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum Welcome to each and every one of you And There's a saying in Arabic That says Al-ni'ma Ida fuqidat urifat that a bounty, if it is lost, then you will know it, or it is known. And it's been over a year, more than a year, about a year, that we've lost sat here in a class. And alhamdulillah, the classes have gone on, it's been online, but that barakah, Right, and that blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are many ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam where he speaks about a people that gathers in the house of Allah. And the only thing that they do is that they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that they study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or yani they study the sciences of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the malaika that they descend on. A mercy descends on that group of people. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those that we gain the mercy and the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So alhamdulillah we are all here for the explanation and the tafsir of suratul kaf. And before we get into the surah itself, the first point is that of seeking knowledge. But before we get to this, there's one very important point, And that is our intention, our niyyah. Right? That is the most important thing. If I came here to teach, but my sole purpose... But my sole purpose and my intention is what? That I can just come, sit here, tell you a few stories and make it seem that, you know, your mashallah, he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's saying. Then I might as well set that up. Right. Or you came here and your intention for coming here was, you know, so that I can show this one and I can show that one, that I also attend classes. Or... My main purpose of coming here is to challenge the lecturer, to challenge the speaker. Or my intentions, whatever it is. Maybe I'm interested in marriage, to get married to someone. And I've heard that she's going to be here in the class. So I'm also coming because the father's here, so the father can say, Oh, mashallah, pious boy. Right? So, innamal amalu biniyat. That actions are judged according to its intention. And a person will be rewarded for that which he intended. And I don't know what's in your heart, you don't know what's in my heart. 
So your niyyah is bainak wa bainallah. It is between you and Allah wa azzawaja. And if we came with a wrong intention, there's still time to change this. That we are here only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to gain knowledge. Like we're not here for fun and games. But we are here to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to gain reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to increase ourselves in knowledge. So we can learn something. And this is why it brought me to the first slide. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من سلك طريقا يلتمس فيه علم سهل الله له به طريقا إلى الجنة رواه مسلم أبو هريرة may Allah be pleased with him he reported that the messenger of Allah سبحانه وتعالى said that Allah makes the pathway to Jannah easy for the person who treads a path in search of knowledge. Right? This is why we are. We are here to learn. Whether you learn on a part-time basis, whether you learn one hour a week, whether you are a full-time student and you learn every single day for five, six hours, with a correct intention, you fall under here. That if you tread a path of knowledge, then know that Allah Azza wa Jal is going to make your path to Jannah easy. And here's a question for everyone. Is the path to Jannah easy or difficult? No. Easy or difficult? It's hard, right? To work to Jannah? Must work hard. To stay away from haram. It's hard. Right? There's so much temptations in the world. And each person, he has some form of temptation. Something that maybe tempts me is different to what it tempts you. Something that tempts you is different to what it tempts him. But, that's why it's important that we seek knowledge. Because we know to get to Jannah's hard. And here the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, that if you seek and you tread a path of knowledge, Allah makes the journey to Jannah for you easy. And that's what it's all about. Right? It is to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to get to Jannah. This is our purpose. If I were to ask anyone here, right, we're going to ask the sisters first, define success. Right? So what would the sisters say? What is success? Naam. Okay. I don't want to talk. What is success? To be safe from the hellfire and enter into paradise. Ahsan. Right. To be safe from? The hellfire. So where do you get that from? From? The Quran. فَمَنْ زُحْسِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَأُدَخِلَ الْجَنَّةِ فَقَدْ فَازْ وَمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَاعُ الْغُرُورِ So, when I teach the afternoon madrasa, I have a teenage class, I ask them, so what is success? 
put on the board success. Have a fancy car. Have a beautiful house. Have a beautiful wife. There's nothing wrong with this. Have a good degree, etc. There's nothing wrong. Correct? But what is the ultimate success? It's what we said now. That whosoever is saved from the fire of Jahannam and is entered into Jannah, Fakada, Faz. He is indeed successful. And now all that other things that the children said comes in here. And know that the enjoyments of this dunya is but just a what? Justice, deception. Right? So we seek knowledge so that we can enter Jannah. And seeking knowledge. And yes, it's odd. All of us here had a hectic day at work. We all work. Okay, some works from home now, alhamdulillah. But everyone's working. 8 till 5. 9 till 6. Whatever it might be. But you still made that effort to come. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to make that little effort. And in return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants you beneficial knowledge. And at the end of the day, this is what we all want, is to have beneficial knowledge. This brings me to the next point. This da'wah. The da'wah of calling to Quran and Sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ That let there arise out of you a group of people. Right, so let them, let there come a group of people. يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ that they invite to all that is good. They invite to the deen of Islam. They invite to the correct tawheed. They invite to the correct aqidah. They invite people to follow the Quran and to follow the sunnah ala fahmi salafu salih upon the understanding of the pious predecessors of this ummah. And what do they do? يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ They enjoin what is good. وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And this is a famous phrase. All of us sitting here, all of us listening to this, we've all heard this, correct? Right? Enjoin what is good, forbid what is evil. And that phrase on itself is a class on its own. Right? We can sit here for a few hours explaining ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa yanawna 'anil munkar enjoining what is good and forbidding what is evil that will take us another few lessons we're not going to go into this but enjoin what is good and forbid what is evil you need understanding and you need knowledge i cannot take a walk outside with no knowledge and i see someone doing something wrong I will. how do i know maybe what he's doing right okay let's flip it around i walk into the masjid Someone making salah in a particular way. What do I say? This guy don't make salah right. Look how he looks. He's doing this with his finger. He's lifting up his hands. What's this? I haven't taught this. 
So now you want to enjoy, you're thinking you're enjoying what is good. You're forbidding what is evil, but actually what are you doing? You have no knowledge of that matter. For matter of fact, he's following the hadith as well. Who knows? So it is important to have knowledge. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ And they are the successful ones, and we discussed what is success. So this da'wah, right? This da'wah, it consists of two fundamental aspects. It consists of tasfiyah and tarbiyah. This is very important. So the first thing is tasfiyah. Cleansing and purifying the Islamic beliefs and practices. From all shirkiyat and all innovations. This is important. And then tarbiyah. To guide and educate the people according to the purified teachings of Islam. So when we look at Surah Al-Kahf, for example, this is why we are here. We will see there's many lessons. As we will see in a moment, there's four main themes. As the weeks go on, we will discuss this in detail. But each theme, there's a lesson. And this lesson is here for tarbiyah. It is to guide and educate us so that we can practice our Islam according to its correct and correct teachings and understandings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, Huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyina rasula. That he or it is he who sent amongst the unlettered ones a messenger referring to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam minhum yatlu alayhim ayatihi wa yuzakihim so where did he send them? he sent them from themselves he didn't send someone from another planet he sent he didn't send someone from another country he sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa from which tribe? From the Quraysh. To who? To the Quraysh and to the whole of mankind. Kafatun linnas. But his first was to who? Was to his people. Was to the Quraysh. So what did he do with the Quraysh? Yatlu alayhim ayatihi. That he recited to them the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيُزَكِّهِمْ And he purified them from what? From disbelief and polytheism. This was the message of all the Anbiya. Did the Prophet sallallahu message differ from the message of Nuh From Isa From Musa? Or was it the same message? Same message? What does Allah say in the Quran regarding this? وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاهُودِ That and indeed we have sent right? We have sent the messengers We have sent all the messengers of Allah Azza wa With the same message أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ that you worship one Allah and one Allah alone. 
And that you stay far away from false deities. So he recited to them and he purified them. الكتاب, and he taught them the book. And the sunnah. And he taught them the Quran and he taught them the sunnah. All the prophetic sayings. This is what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was recorded. This is what he taught his people. وَإِنْ كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ And then Allah says, And indeed, they had been before in a manifest error. Before the message of Islam came to the Quraysh. Right? What were they doing? Bearing their daughters alive. Worshipping idols. Involved in riba, in usury. So many other things. For example, the husband passes away. The brother-in-law takes the wife as possession. And this is just some of the things that they were doing at this time. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he came to purify the people, purify the beliefs. So the mission is to propagate the Islamic teachings in various areas. Number one, to correct our beliefs and practice. And this in a nutshell is to follow the way of the pious predecessors. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentions and he says خَيْرٌ nasi ummati, وَخَيْرُ qarni ummati, ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ That the best of you or the best nation is my generation. And then those after them. So who was the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's generation? Who was with him? The companions. Radiallahu anhum. Ajma'een. May Allah be pleased with all of them. And who had the best understanding of Islam? Who do you think? Naam, speak to me. Right? There's no detention here if the answer is wrong or anything. <laughs> right? There's, right? Speak. So who do you think... Right? So we established the companions who were the Prophet ﷺ, they were the first generation. Correct? So who do you think had the best understanding of Islam? The companions. The companions. Right? Do we, are we in agreement with this? Right? If we're not in agreement, you can put up your hand. And you can say, I disagree. There's no problem. Right? So we're all in agreement. Alhamdulillah. Who came after the companions? The tabi'in. Right. So let's go a step back. What is the definition of a companion? The definition of a companion is Man laqiyan nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Mu'minan wa mata ala al-islam That a companion is that person. That he met Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a Muslim, as a believer, and he died upon Islam. So if he met Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a non-Muslim, as a Qurayshi, as a Mushrik, as a Christian, but he met Rasulullah, and he dies in that condition, is he a Sahabi, yes or no? Why? Because he doesn't fit the definition that we did. He wasn't a Muslim when he met him and he never died upon Islam. 
So now we understand that. So what do you think is the definition of a tabi'i? Who did he meet? He met the Sahaba. Right? So he met the Sahaba. Naam Can I take you back to the definition of the, uh, the companion? Bismillah. You said when they met the Prophet, they were Muslims. Or that, did they become Muslims after meeting the Prophet? Right? So, if they met Rasulullah as a Christian, and then they became Muslim, and they died upon Islam, they'll still be regarded as a Sahabi. The reason why we say met, because in some books, it's just a side note, if you get that, alhamdulillah, some definition says, man ra'a nabi, whomsoever saw the Prophet So what's the problem with that? No, the problem with that is, what if the Sahabi was blind? Understood? So that's why Ibn Hajar Asqalani and others, they basically, they say that whosoever met Rasulullah is better than saying seen. Because seen, you're taking out a certain group of Sahaba. And for example, we know the, uh, the hadith of the Adhan. For example, Ummatum, he was blind. So you wouldn't have fitted into the definition and Allah knows best. Does it answer your question? Tayyip. Right? Don't feel shy to ask questions. If the sisters, you feel you don't want to ask questions, I don't tell you this paper. And a pen, they're more than welcome to slide the questions. Um, if you have a page, maybe you can tear it off and just put it under. Afwa? <laughs> Please, no, nothing like that. Alright? So, inshallah, next week I'll have some paper with and then can write the questions there. So, correcting our beliefs and practices, right? We covered that, alhamdulillah. Number two, inviting people to the true deen of Islam to educate Muslims as well to follow the true deen. So now you might be thinking, that sounds a bit problematic. Why would you want to invite Muslims or educate Muslims to the true deen? Right? What does the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? He says, كُلُّ بْنِ آدَمْ خَطَّاءُونَ وَخَيْرُ خَطَّاءِينَ that all the children of Adam they are what? they are sinners and the best of them are those who turn to Allah in repentance no matter how long his beard is no matter how many meters turban he's wearing no matter how short his tobe is and this is not here to mock right? Wearing the best of abayas. Face, hands, everything is closed. But each of us, we have something that we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some has it bigger. Some has it smaller. Some is apparent. Some is hidden. But we all have that and we all need to come back to the true understanding of what Allah Azza wa Jal wants us to be. Correct? And yes, some of us maybe, our cultures has influenced our Islam a bit more than other people's culture. So we need to reform that as well. If the culture, and please pay attention, if the culture is in conformity with the teachings of Islam, 
according to the Quran and the Sunnah, then there is nothing wrong with that culture. If the culture goes against the teachings of Quran and Sunnah, then we try to remove that culture. Understood? So let's look at an example. In certain communities, the culture is when the lady gives birth, Alhamdulillah, the mother, she comes and she stays with the daughter. Or the daughter goes to the mother's house for a week or two and she stays there. Is this in conformity with the Sharia or not in conformity with the Sharia? Naam. Should be. Naam. Why? You don't see anything? Okay, let's flip it around. What's wrong with it? So then? Okay. So the custom is good then? <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, I would imagine that if the mother is coming to assist the daughter, let's say it's a first newborn, um, you're not, you're not too confident in managing the baby. People might come and visit. There's an element of assistance and help. Um, but also there has to be some degree of boundaries. And I think I would look at it in terms of that, that there is, you know, a mother coming to assist the daughter. There's a bond being mm-hmm. potentially being, no. being told not only with the daughter but with the grandchild. No. And the relationships will potentially blossom from there. No. I agree. So why brought this in? There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Right? It's something good. It's khair in it. Right? And Ajis of the elders here in the class, I'm sure he can explain or can give his input on it. Something good or? <laughs> now, okay. So, Alhamdulillah. And, right? There's nothing wrong with this. So, number three, to warn against deviant beliefs and practices. This is something that people in our community, they tend to have a problem with this. Why must you speak about the wrongs of the community? So I'm going to pose a question. If no one speaks about the wrongs of the community, how is the community going to change? How is the community going to know that there is something wrong. So it's something for us to think about. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us and put in our hearts that He can take us to that which is the truth. Number four. Purifying the sunnah from weak and fabricated ahadith. I will touch on this a bit later. And also from the deniers of Hadith, especially in our times today. So for those that know what I'm talking about, Alhamdulillah. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, yes, you do find people that they do not accept a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they are known as the Qur'aniyun. They only accept ayat of the Qur'an and they don't accept hadith. I've done a whole course on this and inshallah maybe afterwards if you have any questions we can deal with that there. 
Number five, liberating the Islamic thought, leaving off certain groups, etc. And number six, presenting the Islamic solution. And that is basically our introduction to our cause. And this brings us to why we are here. That we are here for and to study the tafsir of Surah Al-Kahf. So what is the meaning of Surah? Chapter. Chapter. And what is the meaning of Al-Kahf? The cave. So what is a cave? Opening in a mountain. In the mountain. Right? We have caves here. Yeah? Of what? We have, right? Yeah, Okay, time. <laughs> right? Maybe we must go see a cave one day. So, Surah Al-Kahf is the 18th chapter of the Quran. Here's a question. Was Surah Al-Kahf revealed after the 17th and before the 19th? What do you think? Because this is the 18th chapter in the Quran. Was the Quran revealed per surah? Surah Fatiha, Surah Baqarah, Ani Imran, Nisa? No, right? We're all in agreement. What was the first verse revealed? Iqra? To read. So Alhamdulillah, we all agree that the Quran was not revealed in this order that we see it today. Point number two, it is a Makkan Surah. What does this mean? That it is a Makkan Surah. It was revealed where? Naam, who said that? Before the Hijrah. Right, that is good. Someone said, was revealed in Makkah. Right. The closest and the best one is that it was revealed before Hijrah and Ba'da Hijrah. This definition or this understanding of where Suwar was revealed is the easiest. Before Hijrah and after Hijrah. Some ulama, they will say, no, this surah was revealed in Makkah and a part of it was revealed in Medina and this surah was revealed in, just using example, Ta'if and this was revealed in Tabuk. Right? The simplest thing, Qabla Hijrah, before Hijrah, wa ba'da Hijrah. So before Hijrah, Makkah. After Hijrah, Madani. Understood? Ta'if. How many verses? How many verses? Are you sure? See on the board. <laughs> right? Correct? 110? No one memorize Surah Kafia? 110? Right? So what was the reason for revelation? This is important. We need to know. Right? Because certain verses in the book of Allah was revealed for certain purposes so now I would like to teach you a qaida a ruling al-ibra bil-umumi laf la bi-khususi sabab 
This is a qaida in usul tafsir or tafsir. Al-ibra. The lessons. Al-ibra bil-umumi lafz. La bi-khususi sabab. That the lessons of the reasons of revelation or the lessons of the Quran. Right? It is not specifically for that time, but the lessons are in general. So for example, maybe there was a reason why Allah says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ zina." There was a reason why that ayah was revealed. So now we say, no, you know what? <laughs> that ayah was just for that time. That was only for then. But it's fine now, don't apply to us. No. Al-ibarabi umumi love. That the lesson is for generality for all times. La bi khusus sabab. And not specific for that time when it was revealed. Understood? Because if that is the case, then wala'udhu billah, someone can come in here and tell us what? That the Quran is? Outday. Shukra. Right? Someone can tell us that. Allah says, Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Here alone do we worship, here alone do we seek assistance. Yeah, but that was only for the Quraysh because they were what's name? So it's fine for the Muslim to go to the grave and go ask the dead. Because it was only for that time. Doesn't make sense. So this is important. So the reason of revelation. Muhammad ibn Ishaq. He mentioned the reason why the surah was revealed. He said that an old man from amongst the people of Egypt. He came to them some 40 odd years ago and he told him that Ikrim, that this is narrated from Ikrimah that Ibn Abbas said so this what we have on top is basically the chain of narrations so the Quraysh sent another Bin Harith and Uqba Ibn Abi Mu'id to the Jewish rabbis in Medina and he told them ask them the rabbis about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and describe him to them and tell and tell them what he is saying they are the people of the first book and they have more knowledge of the prophets than we do so they set out and when they reached Al-Madina, they asked the Jewish rabbi about the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They described him to them and told them some of what he had said. And they said, you are the people of the Torah. And we have come to you so that you can tell us about this companion of ours. The rabbi said, Ask him about three things which we will tell you to ask. If he answers them, then he is a prophet who has been sent by Allah Azza wa Jal. And if he does not answer, then he is saying things that are not true, in which case how will you deal with him will be up to you. Ask him about some young men in ancient times. What was their story? For theirs is a strange and wondrous tale. Ask him about a man who traveled a great deal and reached the east and the west of the earth. 
what was his story and ask him about the ruh yani the soul or the spirit what is it if he tells you about these things then he is a prophet so follow him but if he does not tell you then he is a man who is making things up so deal with him as you see fit so Nadr and Uqba left and came back to the Quraysh and said O people of Quraysh we have come to you with a decisive solution which will put an end to the problem between you and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. the Jewish rabbis told us to ask him about some matters and they told the Quraysh what they were then they came to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they said O Muhammad tell us and they asked him about the things that they have been told to ask. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, I will tell you tomorrow about what you have asked me. But he did not say what? He did not say inshallah. So they went away and the messenger of Allah stayed for 15 days without any revelation from Allah concerning that. And Jibreel, peace be upon him, did not come to him either. The people of Makkah starting to, started to doubt Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said Muhammad promised to tell us the next day and now 15 days have gone by and he has still not told us anything. In response to the questions that we asked, the messenger of Allah felt sad because of the delay in revelation and he was grieved by what of the, peop- the people of Makkah were saying. Then Jibreel came to him from Allah with a surah about the companions of the cave. So now we understand the reason why the surah was revealed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Then Jibreel came to him from Allah with a surah of the companions of the cave, which also contained a rebuke for feeling sad about the idolaters. The surah also told him about the things that they asked him about, the young men and the traveler. The question about the ruh was answered in the surah as well. And obviously we're not going to discuss this now, because when we reach these verses, we will obviously touch on this again and in more detail, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. The virtues of surah al-kaf. There are many ahadith regarding the virtues of Surah Al-Kaf. Does anyone know any hadith with regards to the virtues? It does not have to be verbatim. It can be transmitted by meaning. That's fine. That's accepted by the ulama of hadith as well. So again, does anyone know any hadith or any virtue that you heard or you read? In your own words is fine. With regards to Surah Al-Kaf. Afwa, speak, speak. Does sisters want to say anything? Naam. No. You protected from Tajjal. Anything, any other virtues? Recommended to each on a Friday? Recommended to. Type. Anything else? 
Can you speak a bit louder, please? Protected from Tajal, protected from the trials of Tajal as well. Peace Right, so some of these narrations, Alhamdulillah, they are authentic, and others are not. Right? It's important to know that they are ahadith that are authentic, and they are ahadith that are not authentic. How do we know what is authentic and what isn't authentic? How do we know that? Sorry? Chain of narrators. Good. Yes. Same thing. Anyone else? So who knows the chain of narrators? Right? So, in the field of hadith, alhamdulillah, there are different sciences. Under the field of hadith, and one of them is, like you said, to study the chain of narrations. To know who's who. Right? And every hadith that is found in the hadith books, whether it's Bukhari, whether it's Muslim, whether it's Tirmidhi, the Musnad of Ahmad, etc. and etc., there will be chains of narrators. Those are the primary books of hadith. Then you find the secondary books of hadith, for example, the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, Riyadu Salihin. Right? These are books, the hadith books, Hadith authentic, you find one or two, maybe hadith at Hassan, some hadith at Da'if. But you don't find the chain of narrators. So he just has the Sahabi's name and the hadith. So let me give you a tip. That is something on the side now. If ever you quote the hadith or you send the hadith, don't reference that hadith as Riyadu Salihin or Imam Nawawi's 40 40 hadith. That is not a reference. Right? Because where did Imam Nawawi get it from? He got it from Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, all those books. Right? Correct. So, it's just a tip. That whenever you get sent to you, what's the name? Don't reference the hadith as Riyadu Salihin or the 40 hadith of Nawawi or Mishkat al-Masabih, etc. But we take it back to the primary sources and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Al-Bara ibn Azim, he said a man recited Surah Al-Kaf and in the house there was a riding animal which got frightened and started to jump. The man finished his prayer with a taslim, but behold a mist or a cloud hovered over him. He informed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, O oh, so and so, recite for this mist or cloud was a sign of peace descending for the recitation of the Qur'an. So why do we bring this in here? Because it speaks about that he was reciting Surah Al-Kaf. And this hadith is, as you see at the bottom, it says agreed upon. What does that mean? Sorry? Bukhari and Muslim. That this narration is found in Bukhari and in Muslim. And this hadith is a hadith that was mentioned here now. Man hafidha 
عشر آيات من أول سورة الكهف عصم من نتجال رواه مسلم أبو دردا he reported that Allah's apostle <coughs> that Allah's apostle peace be upon him said if anyone learns by heart meaning he memorizes man hafidah Right, the word hafidha yahfadhu means to memorize. So whomsoever has memorized the first ten verses of Suratul Kaf, he will be protected from Tajjal. And this hadith is found where? In Sahih Muslim. Now this hadith, right, and there's two or three other hadith. That they are basically the main ahadith with regards to Suratul Kaf. Many of the other narrations that are weak, that are very weak, right? They all come and they branch from these ahadith. So these are the main ahadith. So they, if you had to have a block, so they will be on top of the block. Then there will be other ahadith and there will be arrows going down from that main hadith. Someone mentioned earlier there's a relation between Surah Al-Kaf and the day of Jum'ah. Right? Does everyone, everyone hear about this? You know about this from before? Hey? Yes. Who never heard that there is a relationship between Surah Kaf and Jummah? Alhamdulillah, everyone's heard. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. This is the other one. Right? This again now is a separate one. But this is also the main hadith with regards to the connection between Surah Al-Kaf and Yawmul Jummah. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he said, Whoever reads Surah Al-Kaf, on the night of Jum'ah will have a light that will stretch between him and the ancient house. Yani, which is known in Arabic as the Baytul Atiq, the Kaaba. This hadith is narrated by Imam Ad-Darimi. This hadith was class Sahih by Shaykh Albani, rahimallahu ta'ala, in Sahih Al-Jami. The next hadith. Whomsoever reads Surah Al-Kaf on the day of Jum'ah, will have a light that will shine from him from one Friday to the next. This hadith is found in Al-Hakim Al-Bay'aqi. Ibn Hajar said in Takhrij Al-Adhkar that this is a Hassan hadith. And he said that this is the strongest report that has been narrated concerning reading Surah Al-Kaf. Again, class Sahih by Shaykh Al-Bani Rahimallahu Ta'ala. The next hadith. Right, narrated by Ibn Umar. Oh, sorry, Umar radiallahu That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, So if we read Surah Al-Kaf on the day of Jum'ah, a light will shine for him from beneath his feet to the clouds of the sky, which will shine for him on the day of Qiyamah. And he will be forgiven his sins between the two Fridays. Al-Mundiri said that this hadith was narrated by Abu Bakr ibn 
Mardawai in his tafsir with an isnad which has nothing wrong with it. So what do we understand from all these narrations that I narrated for you? Now, what do you get from these narrations? Great virtue. What else? Recite Surah Kaf on a Friday. So that's from Thursday night of the Maghrib until Friday. Okay. Has anyone heard anything contrary to this? No? Right? Is there another view? So obviously there is another view. Right? On studying the narrations regarding reciting Surah Al-Kaf on a Friday, the following conclusions was established. And this is taken from a book by Sheikh Abdullah Al-Fawzan, who is a teacher at Jamia Tayyibah, which is in Medina. The ahadith that specifies reading Surah Al-Kaf on a Friday is weak. Now pay attention please. We passed the hadith of Man Right? That hadith is authentic. We passed that hadith. So even memorizes those verses. Protected from that. That's one mas'ala. We passed it. We now on another mas'ala. Right? So that's in the west. Now in the east. Okay. What we are looking at now is reading Surah Al-Kaf specifically on a Friday. All the ahadith that specifies reading Surah Al-Kaf on a Friday is weak according to a group of scholars. They say it is neither hadith marfu'an or hadithun mawkuf. So what is marfu and what is mawkuf? Hadith marfu is that narration in which the definition of hadith to the Prophet ﷺ is Man laqiyan nabi um, afwan Not that. That this is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ of min qawlin aw fi'lin that which the Prophet ﷺ that which he said, that which he did, right? That takrir on tacit approval, right? So how would you say this? Ma rawahu, right? That which was narrated from the Prophet, peace be upon, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ma rawahu min Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam min qawlin from his speech. So all these ahadith. إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ Any ahadith that you heard, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ They know that that is from his قَوْلِ وَفِعْلْ Actions Aisha radiallahu anha said that before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered the house, what did he do? He used a miswak. He cleaned his mouth and then he entered the house. أَوْ تَقْرِيرًا Tacit approval He does not say yes sallallahu alayhi wa sallam nor does he say no. 
he keeps quiet. And we know that no haram can take place in a presence of a Nabi. Understood? Taib. Quick example. Khalid bin Walid and a few other companions they sit in and a dub comes. Right? It's like this big lizard. So they come and it's offered to Rasulullah He doesn't eat from it. Khalid bin Walid eats from it. Does the Prophet allow him to eat? Yes. yes. Does he say eat? No. Does he say don't eat? No. This is tacit approval. Understood? And then sifatin khulqiyya wa khalqi. That also the description of the Prophet ﷺ, physical description. He had a gap in his front teeth. He walked in a particular way. His hair was a particular length. Physical. Then also what type of characteristics did he have? For example, the Prophet ﷺ was the most generous of people. The hadith is Ajwatun Nas. But in Ramadan, he was more generous. So he was the most generous, but in Ramadan he was even more generous. Right? The other hadith, for example, just quickly, of it, that the Prophet ﷺ, his character was what? Was the Quran. So this is hadith marfu. Hadith mawkuf refers to a narration in which the statements or actions are attributed to the companion. Again, the companion does a certain action. It is connected to him. But where did he get that from, most likely? From Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right, and this is found in Sharh al-Nukhba and Ibn Salah's book. So where does this leave us? Right, this is always the question. But now what must we do? So now we've seen both views and as-sawab in Allah. Right? The haq is with Allah Azza wa Jal. And what's the next question? But what do you do? Right? So, I've alhamdulillah, I've studied, I've read the ahadith, I've read the chains of narrations and that. And what has come to my knowledge from more than one scholar is that Sheikh Albani rahimahullah ta'ala himself that later in his life he retracted the way he made those ahadith authentic or hasan. That Allah alam is what we have been told. So what do we do? What we do with regarding Surah Al-Kaf the issue here is to specify Yawmul Juma. So for example, certain of the ulama in our times today, they have said, recite Surah Al-Kaf any day of the week. You want to read it on Monday? Alhamdulillah. Next week you want to read it on a Friday? Good. Following week you want to read it on a Thursday? No problem. But don't specify that day because of some of the ahadith that are weak. If you genuinely feel that you want to follow the ulama that say the hadith is hasan and that on the reading certain ahadith that mentions to read on the Friday, then go for it. But if someone explains to you and like we did here and they explain that this is the view, this is what they feel is nothing authentic, then there's that view as well and Allah 
that was best. The reason why we brought it up is because we need to be fair and we need to be just. So if there is a view and maybe you read in Surah Kaf and you come across another view, you come to me in two weeks' time in the class, but you never mention that. You only mention one view. So this is why we present those views and Allah knows best. Coming towards the end, the four main themes of Surah Al-Kaf right, is the people of the cave, the companions of the two gardens, Musa and Khidr, and Dhul Qarnayn. Obviously, we will go into detail. It may seem that none of these stories are related to one another, but we see that the purpose or theme of all of these stories are about fitna. Right? They are all about trials. Surah Al-Kaf explains trials, fitna, in different aspects of life. Fitna of religion. Right? The people of the cave. Why did they go into the cave? Inshallah, we'll start this next week. Next, the fitna of wealth. The story of the man with two gardens. Right? Money. Right? Money can cause a lot of issues. Right? So we'll deal with that as well. And then the fitna of knowledge. Right? Knowledge can be a trial as well. Story of Musa and Khidr. Was Khidr a Nabi? Wasn't Khidr a Nabi? Right? All of this will be discussed. And then the fitna of power of Dhul Qarnayn. We'll discuss this future as well. So each of these stories, they outline how each of these four things can bring us fitna. It also outlines how the believer should approach these trials and tribulations. We will go through each of these stories as we navigate through the tafsir of Surah Al-Kaf. And inshallah, next week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we will look at the first few verses of Surah Al-Kaf. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide and protect us. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika shadu wa la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Is there any questions?